0: We believe the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a restoration of the original Church established by Jesus Christ, which was built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. We declare to the world that the fullness of the gospel has been restored to the earth. We declare with boldness that the keys of the priesthood have been restored to man. We declare to the world that this is the day, referred to by biblical prophets as the latter days. It is the final time before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign on the earth. So we got sections 106 through 108, and 107 stands out, between those two as obviously being the longest and the most full of. There's a lot of material there. But I, I found 106 kind of interesting. Uh, on its face, it doesn't really have anything that's like, wow, this is incredible. It's, you know, Warren A. Cowdery to be appointed and ordained to a presiding high priest over my church in the land of freedom. in the regions roundabout. Freedom is a city in New York, which I'm not sure that it says that in the section at all. Uh, it doesn't look like it does. It makes it look like in the land of freedom, you know, like, <laughs> like in Liberty Land. But it really is. a It's a town in New York. And it's funny because he's, he's the older brother of Oliver Cowdery. And he was baptized in the church sometime between May and September of 1834. And before his baptism, um, he kind of sympathized with the saints in Missouri. He'd opened his home to Joseph Smith and others uh, when they were recruiting for the camp of Israel. and after the church was established in Freedom, New York, Parley P. Pratt visited the area in April of 1834, and he saw that there was a large church there and that there were like 40 or, or so members, which was a pretty decent-sized congregation back then. When Warren was baptized, he kind of started to know that notice that the members were kind of in need of guidance. Um, but he put it was a preacher of our order who could do us good by strengthening and building us up in the most holy faith. And it seemed like he was calling for maybe an elder or someone to be sent there to kind of just serve as a guide. Remember back then, I don't think every congregation had a bishop. Um, There were only a few bishops that kind of oversaw different geographic groups. But instead of, of just sending an elder over there, he was the one that was called to be in charge <laughs> and to kind of help guide the the congregation. And what I got from that is that a lot of times, and I don't think Warren was being overly critical of a situation, but a lot of times we like to point out, you know, what we really need is da 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 or the the we need so and so isn't doing a good job, or you know, we, we tend to be like pointing out a flaw or or somewhere that needs improvement, and. We need to be willing to accept that if we're pointing that out, that it might be us that's called to do that. Um, But the Lord might say, oh, that's a great idea. Why don't you do that? You know, (laughs) Um, (laughs) which is kind of interesting because Warren seems like he was a pretty recent convert. He was familiar with the church, obviously, his brother uh, being very integral in in its development in the early years. But he wasn't involved in it until he was baptized and started to realize, you know, we need, we need more guidance in this. We need something going on here. And uh, the Lord said, that's a great idea, Warren. Why, why don't we call you to do it? So applying it to our lives, I just think of it like, how many times do we see things that could be done better? And we just say, well, that's not my responsibility or whatever. And it's like, well, maybe it could be. And maybe you don't need to go in and say, all right, Bishop, I'm taking over the young men, you know, <laughs> please don't do that. But <laughs> at the same time, if you see that the young men, need help with ideas for service projects or if they need if you want them to be more involved in doing certain things offer your assistance offer ideas um, find a way to to be a positive influence even if it maybe even isn't your calling and also be willing that if they say you know what we do need a family history consultant that's full-time that's their thing why don't you do it That so you're not like oh well, 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 i didn't mean me yeah <laughs> right it, I think that that it, happens a lot too. Comes a lot. It
1: it matters your intentions, you know. Yeah. You have to really be honest about your intentions, and if you're really giving a suggestion, or you know, there's also individuals who give suggestions in a way that they are <clears throat> almost like criticizing the lack of. Look, I noticed this problem. How come nobody else can notice this? You know, aren't you the leader type of thing? And they do it that way, or I noticed this and I should really be in that position to fix that. You like there's just we're we're really weird as humans, you know, in, in what motivates us. And that's part of what we're learning. So I thought it was interesting that in in section one oh six, this uh uh was it Warren? Mm-hmm. he's kind of being called to minister or called to go preach, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 108, uh, I believe Lyman is his name, uh, Sherman, yep. he's kind of told, hey, you've not done right. Your sins are forgiven you. Now go in in verse, uh, I think, seven, it says, therefore, strengthen your brethren in all your conversations. And all your prayers and all your exhortations and all your doings. And in the manual, it asks two questions one with it says how what with uh, section 106 he says how have you received grace and assurance to be able to stand because that's the admonition that's given to warren yeah. when he's called to preach he says hey i think it's uh hold on 106 i gotta jump back and forth 106 verse 8 and it says and i will give him grace and assurance wherefore he may be able to stand and if he continue and faithful.'" Uh, to be a faithful witness and light unto the church i have prepared a crown for him in the mansions of my father so he's given a uh, kind of a mission call and then he's told hey i will give you grace and assurance so you can carry out what i'm asking you to do you know and then in verse 8 the question in the manual says how can you be more careful henceforth in observing your vows and so this is in. The example of Lyman, where he's being uh, kind of not well, kind of chastised and corrected, but in verse three, and it says, "In arise up and be more careful henceforth in observing your vows, which you have made and do make, and you shall be blessed with exceedingly great blessings." And so there's kind of like we're getting one one section where it's kind of a new missionary being told hey go do these things and although it may feel overwhelming here i'm going to help you and i'm going to give you grace and assurance so you can stand and in verse in section 108 it's kind of a missionary or someone who have been given a calling and didn't do it quite right and the lord saying well i'm going to forgive you but Mm -hmm. you need to pay more attention and be more careful with your vows and your promises and then you're given this great scriptures Uh, at the end six seven and eight where it says therefore strengthen your brethren in all your conversations in all your prayers in your all your exhortations and in all your doings and so it's kind of like we have a problem the problem is you forgot your vows let me give you the solution seeks to strengthen your brethren you know it's kind of what you're saying when you notice something that's wrong are you pointing it out are you speaking up, are you getting involved because you're trying to strengthen your brethren, you're trying to strengthen your ward, you're trying to sustain the people that you have sustained in those callings and make it better? Or are you kind of like, that's ah, not my problem, or ah, they'll figure it out, or, you know, it, there's, I don't know, there's, I think if we read carefully, we can begin to see what the Lord expects of us individually in her in our colleagues? Because we could be in all sorts of that. We could be the leader, the one that has the responsibility and have a total blind spot to something. Are we open enough for someone to make suggestions, to counsel with people, to go and seek, hey, what could we do better? Or do we feel like, hey, I got it all figured out. This is how it is, or this is what's most convenient for me. Therefore, we're going to do it this way.
0: I think what we need to be doing is looking at if there's something that's affecting us in a negative way or if we feel like something could be done better what positive influence can we make how can we help others and also understand that it's if it's something like i think the young men should be doing more service projects and less you know just having fun in their activities well when you're young men's president or when you're involved in young men's you can do that Uh, allow the people who are there to, to do what they feel is best for that calling at the time even if you don't agree with it necessarily It's interesting because in uh, in Lyman Sherman's ordination blessing, it says he was told your ministry shall be great and you shall proclaim to various nations. Your faith shall be unshaken and you shall be delivered from great afflictions. And they were told he was a member of the Quorum of the Seventy presidents of the Seventy, and he was told they were told in May of 1835. Um, to hold themselves in readiness to go at the call of the twelve when the Lord opens the way, and so I think part of his inquiry in, in section 108 is, "You've promised me that I'm going to uh, teach, proclaim the gospel to various nations, that my faith will be unshaken, I'll be delivered from great afflictions. I'm I'm just waiting for all this to start happening. Like, what am I supposed to be doing?" And kind of went to Joseph Smith and was like. Uh, I need to know what what the Lord wants of me. And um, it's funny because he told Joseph Smith, uh, I have been wrought upon to make known unto you my feelings and desires. Adding that he had been promised by the Lord that I should have my revelation, which should make known my duty. And that's what section 108 is. So he went in there kind of like I've been given all these promises as to what my service will be like. And I want to know what does that look like? Like, can you help me understand that? And then we get Section 108, which is incredibly helpful in some ways. And in some ways, it's kind of like, hey, uh, here's a couple ways you can improve so that when it is your time, you can be ready. Um, And I think that's that's really what it comes down to. You get these kind of two examples of Warren Cowdery, who's like, I think we're missing some guidance here. And then the Lord saying, all right, Warren, why don't you do it? And then you have another situation with Sherman uh, with Lyman Sherman. Is kind of like, I've been given all these promises about what my service will be like, and I'm kind of just waiting to know what am I supposed to be doing. And the Lord telling him, here, do these things in the meantime, improve in this way, and yeah, be ready for when you're actually sent out. And I think that for us, we, we kind of have to look at that as we've all been in both of these situations before. And what can we learn from that, you know? So yeah. section 107 is kind of the first time that we're introduced to a lot more of the the administrative organization of the priesthood. Um, There's been a little bit of that. it's interesting because these these sections, 106 happens in like November 25th, 1834. Section 107 was recorded in 1835, but the revelation was given in November 11th of 1831. So we're jumping back several years, which in this time period, several years in the development of this church uh we're back very much at the beginning 1831 and so we kind of get an idea if you look at that because then in section 108 we jump back to december 26th of 1835 um it's not in chronological order but it's in a way that maybe they didn't receive this and immediately record it as a revelation but then after the fact we're like we're organizing the Quorum of the Twelve. We should probably go out and remember this this revelation we got back a few years ago, where not only it talks about the Quorum of the Twelve, but also presidencies of deacons, teachers, priests, elders, high priests, how all that works, who can be called to what, and kind of what their responsibilities are. So it's interesting how they it wasn't included earlier on in the 1831 portion of Doctrine and Covenants, but we bring it back now because it's like we're establishing the Quorum of the Twelve in a more organized way we need to reiterate to everybody what all this means and have it down as doctrine right
1: yeah i i think well i could be missing the bone on this which is very likely but to me it feels like at to this point we've never received this much detail about the Aaronic priesthood and the mechazic priesthood and the only um scriptures around this there's quite a few in like Leviticus, you know, when it's talking about the sons of Aaron and Levitical priesthood. There's some in the Book of Mormon. We definitely hear about the Melchizedek priesthood in the Book of Mormon. Um, and then we hear some in the New Testament about the greater priesthood and the lesser priesthood. And But here, especially in verse 1, where it says there are in the church two priesthoods, namely Melchizedek and Aaronic, including the Levitical priesthood. Which then makes it almost sound like there's there's some misunderstanding of what the Levitical priesthood is. And that the Levitical priesthood is, a lot of the time, tied to specifically the, the tribe of Levi. And later, as we read, we're told, sure, that's the case. But if you have the Mechizedek priesthood and the Aaronic priesthood, they're almost one in the same, just the Aaronic is an appendix appenditure of the Mechizedek, and you have different keys. And sure, there are people who have certain rights to preside, but if they're not found, whoever holds the Mechizedek can also preside in any ironic priesthood duty. Um, And for me, the key takeaway was that, one, this is not our priesthood. This is the priesthood of the... In verse three, where it says it's called the holy priesthood after the order of the son of God. Um, and we're told that the name Mechizedek comes about because of verse four, because of respect, to not keep repeating, which is interesting to me because if if there's repetition, that means we should be using it frequently to do things to you know because i i often think why don't we go back to calling it the holy Priesthood after the order of the son of god so you're giving a blessing instead of saying by the authority of the mechizedek priesthood we could say but then it says that of reverence and respect you know we use the word mechizedek which that it was kind of a weird thought which i thought well maybe we need to be using the priesthood a lot more
0: <laughs> yeah. um, well, on, on that, I think that um, we we learn in here a lot about what the priesthoods are and what kind of the roles are in different callings and such, different offices. But I think that we do underutilize the priesthood, and I think that we do underrecognize the the utility of the priesthood. We look at it as, well, if I'm not blessing the sacrament or giving a, a health blessing or doing a temple ordinance, you know, how am I supposed to use it? But a couple of things in the whole section really stood out to me. And one of those, um, one of the the ideas is basically that when when a congregation has uh, holders of the priesthood, they have access to the keys. It's not just those who hold the priesthood that can benefit from the priesthood. When a congregation has it, when people have it, it's meant for everyone to benefit from. And I think that's a lot of the misconception about the priesthood is it's like, well, I have it so I can learn and grow and so that I can give blessings to others. True. But think about like in a ward, you know, the Relief Society President does not have the priesthood, but she does. She has been given authorization to use priesthood keys uh, to carry out her calling. She doesn't hold them, but she's been given that the authorization to use that authority right, to carry out certain things, especially now where the bishop's less involved in a lot of the welfare things and stuff like that. It's more the elders quorum president and Relief Society president that do handle a lot of those things. Uh, It's a, the keys are present, therefore people can can do, can use the priesthood in ways that maybe we don't really understand, or maybe we haven't really utilized.
1: I think if I were to say what you're saying in my own weird words, sure. I think you're trying to say you, there's holding office in the priesthood, and then there's being blessed by the priesthood or acting under the direction of the priesthood. Exactly. And those, anyone who has been baptized, been given the gift of the Holy Ghost, especially received temple endowments and blessings, Can is exercising the priesthood as they're living their covenants and also as they're on assignment official assignments from those who hold the keys you're entitled to that priesthood power i was thinking about this in the last couple of weeks i've been thinking about how do you how does the church highlight women more and i've noticed that almost every brethren is having these firesides or these talks and it's them and their wife participating especially with the youth i think it's a great example for the youth to see two outstanding couples teaching and working together. And I would go, go as far as to say that none of these men would be where they are spiritually without their wives. So to say that they are magnifying their calling or that they are these outstanding general authorities kind of cheapens it a little bit and misses the mark. What, you're, what we should be seeing is this is an incredible, exalted, or celestial couple. Right. And the priesthood for men is given to say, you should be as I am. I think that's what Christ is saying. It's a higher commitment to be like him. I don't know, because I was thinking, it'd be interesting of General Conference, if they added for the 12 and the First Presidency, they added another seat and all of their wives sat up there with them. Hmm. It would give a totally different feel that this wasn't done in a vacuum, that they don't operate in a vacuum. And I think if you know them well enough, you will know that they they utilize their wives. They they credit them, that they're involved, that they're doing things, that this isn't a passive, hey, honey, you sit down there. I'll show the world that I'm a an apostle, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? <clears throat> That's my weird random thought.
0: I think you're onto something there, though, because like you said, they wouldn't be where they are without having a strong foundation to build upon and those those wives help establish that and i think every time that i've gotten a calling in my life um while it's been me that has the calling on paper there have been many times when i've had to say i need help with this or i that i ask my wife what do you think about this 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 is an idea i'm having for the elders quorum what do you think and it's not just a hey Let me patronize you by involving you in this. It's not that at all. It's literally, you're my eternal companion. And if I trust you to be with me forever, and if you trust me to be with you forever, we have to be on the same page on a lot of stuff. And I value your opinion and I value your feedback. And I need to know if I'm completely off base. And so by giving her that, that ability, that opportunity to participate in it, she's not the elders quorum president. She doesn't bear the responsibility of of that, but she certainly has participated in helping me make very difficult decisions and helping me receive revelation. And in and, and that way, she doesn't have the calling necessarily, but the other times when she she has had callings and asked me for stuff, like right now, she teaches the youth Sunday school class in our ward, and she asked me to help out sometimes, and I do. And I feel like it's a, a healthy interchange of ideas and, and a bearing of the burden of responsibility among two people instead of just one ultimately i'm the one that goes and does it when I, when I was elders quorum president but she was right there with me you know she went to activities when we had uh elders quorum activities with with families or with wives she was there every single time and it was a way of saying i'm in this with you you're not you're not just on your own and i, I see the brethren do that as well when they travel to a mission or whatever to speak at a zone conference they'll take their wives and their wives speak as well and it's like not just a be quiet, sit down there and and do your thing. This is my time now. It's not that attitude at all.
1: Yeah, I think uh I don't know. I think about the priesthood, and I always go to a celestial marriage for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> and and I I think there's like this. Sometimes we have good intentions with examples we use, but I think sometimes they miss the mark. And for me, one that has really bothered me over the years is the sentiment that in order to receive exaltation, you have to enter into the highest covenant, which is marriage. And I have no issue with that. What I have issue is how sometimes we speak about it as if, well, your marriage ain't perfect, you, you know, you work on it later, or it's almost like you're punching, like you have a punch card in this mm-hmm. just to get that, that, that requirement which flies in the face of all of our covenants, which flies, which is totally against the Holy Spirit of promise, you know, when it comes to our covenants and the things we do. I don't think we're going to get there just by punching the card and saying, look, I got married in the temple. Yay. It's much more than that. Just as our relationship with the Savior, we're commanded to be one, but how could we, we be one with someone who, is perfect and infinite, and we're finite and imperfect. <laughs> well, we have a spouse, and just as they are different from us and we are from them, we're to work on our differences so we can be united. And in our callings and in holding the priesthood, I don't know, I just don't think you hold it alone. I think when you enter in those covenants, you are together. Now, in the rest of this section there's quite a bit on the councils the 12 you know some some the authorities and, and the 70s and the traveling 70s and the ones that don't travel and judgments and having some um what are they called a council no one is above a council and being able if somebody's done something wrong you hold a council so a lot of administrative things which i think it's good but for me, I like to look at the big picture. And to me, it's just the Lord has order. And if you're going to hold the priesthood and hold office, you better find out what is expected of you. And then seek to magnify your calling and magnify your priesthood, right? Because a lot of us won't be traveling 12. <laughs> or you know. But it's good to know these things. Know that the Lord has order on how he wants his church and even recently i think it was president hinckley he reorganized the quorum of the 70s and and there's always small adjustments being made the doctrine stays the same the truth behind it um but it's implementation as the church grows and the needs of the church change the savior gives um revelation to his prophet to adjust things i mean we just what, one big one that happened recently was the the high priest quorum and the elders quorum being combined. And be a high priest if that uh, calling requires that the ordination. But other than that, there is no high priest quorum. You are all in the elders quorum now to participate. And partially, I think it was so the the more seasoned leaders and and people with more experience can be in the same room and teach those that are younger. Um, That's that's just my take on it, which I think is great.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's also so that it goes both ways, I think. I think the older people that have more experience can teach the younger, less experienced people what they've gone through, what they've done in the past, and also they can have their eyes open to what the world is like for younger people today. And how in some ways it's different in some ways it's the same um, one of the, the verses in 107 that stuck out to me was verse 27 it says in every decision made by either of these quorums must be by the unanimous vote of the same that is every member in each quorum must be agreed to its decisions in order to make their decisions of the same power of validity one with the other and it's talking about um the quorum of the 70 and the 12 special witnesses or the or apostles but I think what stands out to me here is that um, especially when we're thinking about a lot of the policies, a lot of the decisions, changes that come across in the church that are voted on by the quorum of the Twelve, it's a unanimous decision every time that they that they issue a a change or a result in something it's it's by unanimous decision. There's nobody in there saying, "Well, we decided this, but I didn't want that, you know." Um, Maybe at first. I I do know that they do have discussions where not everyone always agrees on certain topics. Um, But by the end, they all align. They all agree. Here's what we're going to do. And I think the way they do that is despite their own personal thoughts and beliefs sometimes is that they're doing everything under under the direction of the spirit and they're doing everything uh, under revelation. And so it's not just, hey, here's what I think we should do. Who agrees with me? We're going to talk about this. Nobody leaves the room until we all agree on something. But I think really what it is, is here's the problem. Let's propose some ideas. And if eight of them agree and four do not, let's discuss it further and pray and ask the Lord for guidance. And I think in the end, what you have is a unified group that says, yeah, we're going to lower the mission age. And we think this is possible for the following reasons. Or we're going to reduce our church services to two hours every Sunday instead of three. And here's why we think that's a good idea. And it, it's good to know for me that that voice is unanimous they all agree on how things should be the discussions and communication are are effective and when they come out with a policy change or with an idea of how to do things differently it's not just uh hey we we came to this compromise you know no no, no. this is a unanimous decision that's important to me because i don't like the idea that there's some kind of dissenter that doesn't want to agree with the, what the rest of the group does and i think that that's important to know as well as we go in our quorums you know how can we seek strive to to have that same level of of unity in a quorum i
1: i think you know so far in the doctrine comments we've we've received a lot of uh insight into how the lord expects his leaders to think you know and always from the beginning was think globally (laughs) Uh, we act as if that's a new topic (laughs) but this is all setting the foundation for this global church and many times Joseph Smith would tell the brethren you have no idea where this is going and they'd be like in a little shack even in the when they reorganized the church and it was you know six members and that's how it began and and he goes and prophesies you know we don't we can't see it now but this is going to cover the entire earth um and um Continuously, the brethren, or you know, and Joseph and and, and the, those those individuals in the Doctrine and the Lord is telling them to seek out knowledge, seek the best books, learn about cultures, learn about people and languages. We've gone over several of that in in the last episodes, right? And even in our day, I I find it funny how there was some Mormon Wiki leaks of some presentations that were given to the brethren. That we're just basically, hey, here's what's happening with economics around the world. Here's what happening with this part of the world. And it's like that should be comforting to know that they are seeking to know what's actually happening. It's they they use the same principles they tell us when we make decisions in our lives, study it out, gather as much information, then take it to the Lord and have him. Add on to it or take away from it, you know, and and adjust it. And they do the exact same things. They gather data. The the church sends out surveys. The church has done tons of pilot programs, pilot programs on Spanish-speaking words, non-Spanish-speaking words, how to teach languages, how to preach my gospel, preach my gospel. It's all implementation. It wasn't like, that's it. It's had several reiterations and several changes and missions that went. And then they gather feedback and then they take all that to the Lord. And and I think that's comforting to me that revelation works that way, because if revelation was like a magic eight ball, I would <laughs> feel like I am just a peasant. Yeah. You know, and if revelation requires us to do search and data, then it feels more like the Lord is trying to help us grow. He could give us the answer, and he knows the best way. And But we see it through the scriptures that sometimes the best way is I'm going to take you one step at a time. And before you know it, you're 10 steps way over here, and it's much different than it was when you were on your second or third step. Right. But that's the plan of progression, you know, that the way that the Lord works with us. And that's what I see in this section with, with the organization of and kind of the explanation between the Aaronic and the Melchizedek priesthood. Um, and then, interestingly enough, we have kind of the line of authority that they go through, you know, all the way to Adam. He even prophesied on all the things that would befall his his uh, children, you know, all the, you know. And and um, which, to me, it kind of cements home that the Lord wants order. He doesn't want just things springing forth out of nothing. He is the one in charge, and all the authority is always linked back to him. That's very good to know, especially in a day where a lot of people have created churches or ideologies based on themselves and what is opportune at the time, and a lot of Bad things have been done in the name of the Savior where people have become soothsayers and swindlers. And even in our day, you know, we have a lot of people that have used the church like a business, you know, like a get-rich-quick scheme type of thing. And have led people astray and preying on their desires that they need and want to know more and want to be aligned with God, and are searching for the truth, but know not where to find it, you know, that whole thing. But from the beginning, the Lord has been setting the correct groundwork for his church. And you can see it today, the church uh, its is comforting, and even us in this time, it feels a little bit crazy with COVID and other weird ideologies. We are looking forward to General Conference. Why? Because you get a huge reassurance, you know, when everything's out there swinging you come back to the roots of what what is the truth
0: looking at this section 107 the two things that stood out to me the most were um, how organized everything is and how the lord doesn't do things haphazardly he doesn't do anything like yeah i'm going to call some people to do this and you guys will figure it out how it works no it's pretty pretty well spelled out who does what and where and how but like you said A lot of this is not, it's not that these people have any special access to the the Lord that the rest of us don't have. They have special responsibilities, special calling, like to be a special witness of Jesus Christ to the world um, is a different calling than the rest of us have. We should be still gospel with the world. It's not our primary function in what we're doing on a daily basis. Um, That being said, we are all still able to get revelation just like they do gather information, uh, determine what you what your best course of action will be, and then ask the Lord if that's right. And that's what they do, too. It's not any kind of crazy, like you said, magic 8-ball. It's a good, good you know, just <laughs> There's nothing magic or, or, or different about it. Um, their responsibilities are different, that's all. Let us be awake and not be wary of well-doing, for we are laying the foundation of a great work even preparing for the return of the Savior. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come follow me.